Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Off-season episode 68, I think. I still don't really know for sure. July the 13th, we're almost halfway through the month. Which, again, if you're starting in April, we are now more than three months into the off-season. Can you believe that? I tell you what, and I don't know if it's just, if that's the case for everybody, great. But certainly, man, when you got a couple of kids, there is just no... I have no concept of time. All of a sudden, it's just the next month. Because you're just you're just making it through. Growing them, keeping them alive. Really disrespectful Chia pets. That's, that's what kids are. <laughs> I love my kids. Uh, I think it's 68, off-season episode. This Fantasy NBA Today Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, everybody. Continuing to make this the most successful off-season in the history of Fantasy NBA today by an astoundingly large margin. There has not been one close. Well on our way to blitzing past last month, and it's all thanks to you guys. We're still waiting on any news to break. Um, a couple of rumors floating around. Christian Wood... Seems likely to come off the bench for the Dallas Mavericks. That was rumor number one. Take all this stuff with a grain of salt and cover it in more detail when we get closer. Kyrie Irving maybe wanting to stay in Brooklyn is another rumor that's kicking around right now. I got to say, though, on the Kyrie front, it does feel like, first of all, he's not saying anything. And we've had reports that he wants to go to the Lakers. We've had reports that LeBron wants him. We've had reports that he wants to stay. We've had reports that the Nets have five suitors. We've had reports that the Nets have one suitor. I, I, It really feels like this is just a bunch of sides posturing. I don't know what's actually going to happen, but I do know that with every one of these rumors, every one of these news breaks, particularly as it relates to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it really feels like it's just two teams trying to negotiate a price without actually giving away any, any details of what's going on. So just look at who benefits. If And when I say look at who benefits, look at the trade value of the key player involved. So take this Kyrie Irving example as the one we can look at quickly here. If a rumor comes out that Kyrie wants to stay, do you think that makes him harder to to buy in a trade meaning does that make him more expensive or less expensive probably more would be my guess based on just sort of a, a gut reaction to it because now you're saying oh well you know maybe he doesn't actually want to go anywhere it's going to take more to pry him away if he's not going to be a quote-unquote problem child if he has to stay in brooklyn so then who does that benefit benefits the nets because either they have Kyrie, if it's real, or if it's just a fake rumor, then it's driving up his trade cost. So doesn't it kind of feel like that's a report the Nets would want to put out? And when you hear a report that says, oh, Lakers are the only suitor for Kyrie, doesn't that feel like a report the Lakers would put out? We're the only ones, so, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. 
And when you hear a report that says, oh, the Mavs and the Raptors and the Knicks and all these other teams, oh, they're all interested in Kyrie, and that means a bidding war is coming. Doesn't you, don't you feel like that benefits the Nets? It's pretty easy to figure out who's dropping these things into the media. Just saying. Don't believe all of it. It's just a story that's taking its normal course, and whatever happens will happen, and then we'll deal with it. Uh, other little rumors. Donovan Mitchell apparently not necessarily locked into being a long-term member of the Utah Jazz, but it would take a Gobert-level package to get him to pry him loose. Or, with the Jazz now collecting first-round picks from now until the end of time, thanks to the Rudy Gobert trade, could they use Donovan Mitchell to go get someone else? Is another question. So Utah... Far from done, it would seem, with their offseason. Maybe. And then much smaller rumors. Jared Vanderbilt, who is currently a member of the, the Jazz, and Patrick Beverly, also currently a member of, a, of the Jazz, would then kind of be on the trade block if the Jazz are going into rebuild mode. And man, they could do it quick if they wanted to. If they trade Donovan Mitchell and get four first-rounders, or whatever that is, and the Rudy Gobert trade, I think they got three? And some pick swaps, or was it four and some pick swaps? I mean, they could end up with like seven first-round picks over the next four or five years, plus their own. So I guess it's more than that. And then could they get could they get a first for Jared Vanderbilt? I, I would think probably. He's a good young ball player. Would they get a first for Pat Beverly? Uh, maybe a second salary relief kind of deal. Maybe that's the way that one works out. But Jazz have some questions to answer. And this, again, is why it's really hard to build our buckets. Because we're, we talked yesterday about the Aiton, KD, and Kyrie stories kind of being the big things that are could shake up the landscape. More Utah detonation of their roster could also really shake up the landscape. What if they traded Beverly? What if they trade Donovan Mitchell? What if they trade Jordan Clarkson? We haven't heard anything about that, but could open up all sorts of stuff. I mean, Utah could be this just garbage team in full tank with three or four guys putting up massive numbers for three and a half months and then get shut down. I don't know. It's all hypothetical right now. Anywho, we... Uh, first of all, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. Likely most of you have already, but if you haven't, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Sports Ethos Fantasy feed is at Ethos Fantasy BK for basketball. It's got all the news as it happens, all these rumors I'm talking about. It's over there on that feed. And it's recruiting time here at Sports Ethos. If you're interested in breaking into the industry, we got the spot for you. Major sports, pretty much all of them. We don't really have anything going on in hockey. Sorry. But we got NFL, we got baseball, we got basketball, obviously. Have for some time, but we're branching out. DFS, player props, all that good stuff. Hit me up if you're interested. Uh, we're looking for folks that are ready to get in and start punching away. A lot to do to become an expert on this fantasy industry, but if you're toiling away at it for hours and hours and hours every day and you feel like you can do more, let me know, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, or you can actually email roster at sportsethos.com. I can actually get my hands on those emails and yank them out of the pile. We've been talking about Yahoo's rankings, and it's been sort of fits and starts as it pertains to, you know, how far we've gotten along. We're through the top 30 technically, but, you know, we've been kind of just taking in chunks. And I'm in, my intention is to continue to do chunks of 10 or more if we can get to them. 
But it does seem like every day as we're working our way through this stuff, we get, I don't say waylaid necessarily, but I do think it's important stuff that we're covering. So today, let me just give you players 31 through 40. We'll start there, and then we'll talk a little bit about what that chunk meant and kind of relay it back a little bit because remember the tail end of the 21 to 30 chunk was actually a series of, I don't know, say colossal misses, but nearly colossal misses. So 31 through 40. Chris Paul, mm -mm -mm. you know how I feel about that one. De'Aaron Fox, Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton. Oh, Chris Middleton, by the way, had surgery on his wrist, which I don't remember if that was one we knew was coming or not. It's been long enough ago. Um, may or may not be ready for the start of the season. Eee. We'll know more again by uh, training camp. But anyway, um, Brandon Ingram, Christian Wood, John Morant, Drew Holiday, Rashawn Holmes, and Clint Capella. Interestingly... The players in this group, with the exception of Rashawn Holmes, were fairly healthy. Fairly. Not perfect, but very few complete and total injury disasters. Rashawn Holmes was kind of the only injury disaster after having a couple, actually, in each, in each of the last two groups. We had Dame in the first one, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis all badly hurt in that second group. Adebayo and uh, Jimmy Butler relatively hurt in that second group. In the third group, Westbrook actually wasn't hurt. He was just terrible. Michael Porter Jr., badly hurt. DeAndre Ayton actually missed a bunch of time. Shea was shut down. In this third grouping, uh, Darren Fox had a, a long stretch of injury, and then he played again, and then they sort of half shut him down at the end. So we'll call him... Somewhat injured, but he wasn't getting there on a per-game basis anyway. Uh, Ingram was hurt on and off pretty much throughout the year. John Morant was hurt a little bit more than average. It wasn't... It, not a ton of massive ones. One kind of medium one, and then a lot of little things. And then Rashawn Holmes was kind of the big one in that group. Which means we can do a better job of analyzing really how these picks went by kind of just looking at the per-game numbers. Who did and didn't belong there? Chris Paul obviously did belong there. He was number 19 on a per-game basis. Beat his ADP by a full round. And uh, somehow came back quickly from that big injury and beat his ADP by a round on the total side as well. Darren Fox was number 98 per game. Didn't even matter if he was healthy or not. That was a bad pick. Dude can't shoot free throws. Doesn't hit that many three-pointers. They're just holes. High turnover fantasy game. He's not a nine-cat guy. Jalen Brown, um, yeah, didn't hit his marks. He was a guy that I, I felt was getting overdrafted. I think I even said it last year. I thought he was, I don't know. There was this expectation that something else was going to happen there, but his free throw number is not that great, and it sort of topped out. It seemed like his field goal number had gotten almost too high. So, yeah, this was a little bit of a, of a mean reversion kind of year for him, and he probably does belong closer to 50 than 30. Chris Middleton was fine. He did fine. Um, Brandon Ingram underperformed, was terrible the first half of the season, actually was pretty good in the middle towards the end, but the injuries waylaid him a little bit. So uh, he might actually end up being sort of a borderline value, although you got Zion coming back, so plenty of handicapping to do there. Christian Wood, um, way too risky there. I said that a bunch of times during draft season, so I feel 
pretty good about that warning. And he was number 81 per game. Free throws, mostly, the issue there. John Morant was better than I expected at number 49 per game, but still didn't hit his ADP, even with what I thought was about as good a season as he could have put together. 27.5 points, 6 boards, 7 assists, 1.2 steals, 49% from the field, but minimal three-pointers, bad, high volume, the free throw stuff becomes a bad thing, and then high turnovers. Great 8-cat. Because of that 3.4 turnover, he does get a little bit of a bump there. But until he gets his free throw shooting up around 80%, if he's taken that many of them, he's going to have a tough time getting inside the top 30. Could he make that next leap? Yeah, I mean, he's damn good. This would have been the year that I was looking at John Morant, but I, I think he'll probably almost always end up getting a little bit overdrafted. Wouldn't be surprised to see him get drafted in the late 20s this year, just based on expectation of improvement. And it's probably too soon for me. But again, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Drew Holiday at 33. That was a small win. Good job, Drew. Despite his team going to the finals the previous year, thought there'd be a bit more of a hangover. So that was, that was good. He was a guy, you guys probably remember in last July, I said I was probably going to dodge all of the bucks because of a finals hangover. And then when Drew Holiday fell to f- near 40, you probably also remember me saying, guys, I'm getting suckered into this thing. I, I can't. Like, because he was in the early 20s per game last year. So even if there was a finals sort of hangover fallback kind of thing, he still seemed like a good value. And he was. He beat this mark by just a little bit. he just fallen too far, basically. Rashawn Holmes, we all thought was going to be in great shape and then had uh, personal stuff and then the eyeball and then Demonis Sabonis and the whole, the wheels just came off completely. So that one ended up being a miss for pretty much everybody on earth, myself included. And then Clint Capella got his contract, had a slower year on a per-game side, but he was oddly durable, so he ended up kind of getting pretty close. He'll probably end up getting drafted in the 50s or 60s this coming year, and he'll probably, provided he's still the starter in Atlanta, be a pretty safe center play at that point. What we're seeing here in the 31-40 to 40 range is that we've now moved beyond the guys, and it really, it happened around Devin Booker. We've moved beyond the guys where you can make a a fairly reasonable argument that they could get into the middle of the second round. That's now gone. Donovan Mitchell, probably not going to get there, but you could make an argument. Freddie Van Vliet, definitely could make an argument. Lamella Ball, yes. Gobert, less, yes. Booker, maybe. Russ, no. Michael Porter Jr., yes. If he was healthy, Randall, no. Aiton, no. Shea, probably not. Chris Paul, yes. And to me, Chris Paul at 31 was actually the end of that next grouping, which ran from the ultra-high upside early second-round guys that all fell on their face this year through Chris Paul. And that next group, and I don't know if we need to define them in some specific way, but certainly Nikola Jokic being number one, the group behind that, which I've kind of classified as two through ten, are the guys where you can say, okay, these guys, minus Luka, maybe even minus Giannis, these are the guys where you can make a reasonable argument that they could be the number two player in fantasy and aren't completely beleaguered by injury concerns. Maybe Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid. 
Certainly Joel Embiid. And then the next group, which was Anthony Davis and Paul George and Bradley Beal and Jimmy Butler and guys of that ilk, LeBron James, these are the, well, we've seen these guys go, at least with AD, PG, and LeBron and Butler, we've seen these guys end up in the top five in their NBA careers. Bradley Beal's gotten as high as, I think, like 9 or 10, so not quite. These are guys that have been top five. For AD, he's been number one. Paul George was number two one year. LeBron's been as high as, I think, number four. Butler as high as number five or six. That was a couple years ago, actually. I think it was in Miami. But they have concerns, so this is the upside. Roll of the dice, guys. And then once you get through those... And I know Trey Young ended up beating all of them, but I don't think that anybody looked at Trey and was like, oh yeah, nine cat, he's going to be a mid-first rounder this year. He had as good a year as you could possibly have, and he ended up right at the end of the first round. Which is, again, I don't want to diminish it, he was a very good, massive hit for fantasy from that perspective. But he wasn't, to me, in that same group of AD, PG, Butler, LeBron, where you're like, okay, these guys could, in a perfect world, be the number two player in fantasy, but also there's this massive thing hanging over them, which is... Dudes don't play a full year anymore. So that next group, Trey Young, Vooch, Adebayo, Donovan Mitchell, Freddie Van Vliet, LaMelo Ball, Rudy Gobert, Devin Booker. I jumped over a couple names you probably remember because I don't think they belong there. Those guys are the ones we were talking about. Well, they might be super durable, which is great. That's how they'll get to the second round in eighty or in uh, totals value. Or they might just be a second rounder and maybe a little bit less durable. And they're just like, like as Gobert turned out to be this year. He was in the early 20s and he played in league average number of games. So he was in the early 20s per game and total. Devin Booker, pretty similar. Van Vliet, pretty similar. Donovan Mitchell, mid-20s in both. Once you got past those guys, you got into, well, first of all, Westbrook didn't belong there at all. Julius Randle didn't belong there at all. DeAndre Ayton, by around 30, yeah, I mean, he sort of falls into the maybe he gets there by endurability because, remember, he was in the 20s due to playing in almost every game last season. Shea, fine. If everything broke right, he could be in the 20s. You kind of get into this next chunk. And, you know, the argument could be made that Chris Paul probably should have been in front of those those three guys right in front of him there. He should have been at 28, and Randall, Ayton, and, and Shea should have gotten pushed back. But I think at Chris Paul, you can officially end the marker for, could this person in a reasonable universe end up as a second rounder or better by totals or by averages, but specifically by averages. Can you make a reasonable argument that any of the guys that I just listed could be between 13 and 24 per game? And the only one besides Chris Paul in the 31 through 40 range that's done it consistently is Drew Holiday, which again is a pretty reasonable argument for why he maybe was getting a bit underdrafted. Clint Capella was up there for a little bit, but generally hadn't been all that durable. And for Capella, best case scenario was like the very end of the second round per game. Again, I'm talking per game right now. Fox has never been close. Jalen Brown hasn't been that close. Middleton's gotten near there, but I think we know, you know, when he has a whole season under his belt, it, it, it's he's a little bit back of that. He's more like 40 range. 
Ingram, no. Wood, no. John, no. Holmes, maybe. But again, you're talking best case scenario. Andrew Holiday, yes. And fine. Maybe you say, oh, well, Drew Holiday then perhaps belonged a tier above. And that's what we would do when we're putting these guys into buckets. But in terms of looking at the ADPs and the results right now, this is a different group of players. Fox, Brown, Middleton, Ingram, Wood, Ja, Holmes, Capella. This is now part of a much larger group where people are trying to make the self-argument that there's enough upside to take a shot on them. We're now towards the end of the third round, beginning of the fourth round, and you're starting to now make a, a very difficult decision, but a reasonable one. Do I go? Who do I go with? Who has kind of the fewest red flags? I didn't like many of the guys in that group. But luckily, Chris Paul pretty much always fell to me at that spot. And Drew Holiday was falling to me when I had teams in that spot. So I ended up with, as usual, a lot of Chris Paul, a lot of Drew Holiday. And early in the, uh, well, as you sort of pivot now and come back into the next grouping, which we'll probably do on tomorrow's show, you actually ended up with better results which I think tells us all we need to know in terms of what good are the ADP numbers to us. We're now entering a new zone in ADPs, which basically, remember how we talked before about how uh, no man's land happens near like 70? And by the way, that's still relatively true. Like, if we're looking at the absolute value differences on these things, remember when we took Dame out, the first round was seven and a half. Second round is 57. But again, that's Paul George, that's Beal, that's AD. It was a really weird second round. There's a stretch there between 17 and 26 where they were only missing by like 14. And that's why, again, I'm telling you guys, don't overreact to that second, or I guess it's the third if Jokic counts as his own group. Don't overreact to what we saw in that third chunk that Anthony Davis threw basically Chris Paul, minus some very obvious names that didn't belong in there, specifically Russell Westbrook and then Porter who got hurt. But again, pull those guys out and the you know 12 through 31 group, that's only, miss, that's only an absolute value miss of like 20-something. It's really not nearly as grotesque as it appears, it was like 50-whatever, it's actually 17, by the way. It's 17 in that group. If you pull out the the grotesque Russell Westbrook-Michael Porter duo right in the middle there. But then, all of a sudden, there isn't like that one guy you could just pull out to fix the misses. They're all misses. The hits are like one out of every three at this point, between 31 and 40, or even 31 and 50, or even 31 and 60. They're just all medium-sized misses, basically, that whole way through. As far as No Man's Land goes, it does still exist, and it does still happen kind of in that, like, 65 range, where it's like, look, just take who you want after that point, because... The miss size fluctuates between 
90, 95 for a 10-pick stretch, and then drops back down to like 35, and then back up into the 90s, and then back down into the 50s. It's all over the map. So it's mostly giant misses, then there's a couple in a row where they're a little bit better. That's the definition of no man's land. It's still there. And don't worry, we'll break that down a little bit more. We'll get into the actual players that led to that happening. But there's this, and I think this is the main point I want everybody to take away from this Wednesday show as we look at this next grouping of players. There's like almost a pre-no man's land that's happening or perhaps has always happened. I think maybe we thought it was COVID-related Looking back last year, the misses in the 21 through 30 and 31 through 40 and just like the misses got massive by around pick 75. Now, it was, it was just a disaster. But there was a pre-No Man's Land last year also in a way that there kind of wasn't. Even, even pre-COVID, it wasn't really there. So I don't think this is something that's always happened and we just sort of missed it. This is something that's relatively new, which is that as folks, as the the general fantasy public becomes more knowledgeable about basketball players and specifically younger and lesser known basketball players, you're going to see hype stuff get worse. This is actually fantastic for the way we here on Fantasy NBA Today handicap the NBA, which is look for easy value plays like Drew Holiday, like Chris Paul. Those guys are going to be more prevalent than ever because people are more willing to take shots as early as the mid-third round. It wasn't always like this. I promise you guys. Consensus generally used to be longer. Now consensus is like the top couple. This is really, really good because those of us that spend way too much time with this stuff, guilty as charged, it becomes easier to kind of see the forest for the trees as if to say, sift through being able to decipher, you know, the individual details in all of this and not getting lost in the fact that everybody wants to have the next big thing. Like Chris Middleton, if you took him in the late 30s, you ended up fine. You ended up in actually way better shape than most of the other players in your league drafting in that neck of the woods. This is what ADP means. And I know that you might be able to look back at your league and say, oh, these guys didn't go in that order in my league. Fine, that's of course they didn't. ADP is an average. It's not going to be this in everything. But I mean, just looking at the 10 names I just listed off, Chris Paul, again, I'll read them again. Paul, Fox, Brown, Middleton, Ingram, Wood, Morant, Holiday, Holmes, Capella. Of those guys, two, two beat their ADP on a per-game basis. Two. Two of those guys beat their ADP on a totals basis. Three of those guys either beat their ADP or we're within 10 of their ADP on the negative side. Drew Holiday, Chris Paul were the two that beat it, and Middleton was the one who was just behind. You notice anything 
particularly notable about those three names I just listed? John Morant, by the way, uh, on the per-game side, was the fourth closest. Clint Capella was the fourth closest on the totals side. If you want to put Jaw in that group, we can say there were five guys that you could classify either as a win or a near win or a neutral. Five out of those ten were win, near win, or neutral. Very, very small loss I'm counting as neutral. Basically, if you're super-duper close, that's fine. Of the five names I just listed, what do you think the average NBA service time was of those guys? Chris Paul, about 30 years he's been in the NBA. Drew Holiday, he's been around for about 20 years himself. I mean, yeah, I'm being facetious here. Middleton's been around a while. Capella's been around a while. What about the guys that didn't hit? De'Aaron Fox? Brandon Ingram? Christian Wood? Holmes, unfortunately. Can't exclude him. Weird circumstances there. Which of the guys, if I told you to pick out the guys in that list you think would be what you'd call kind of the buzzier names, wouldn't you say Fox, Ingram, Wood, Morant? And Ja was close, although again, injured, so by totals he didn't, he wasn't a hit, but per game we'll, we'll put him in there just to make our numbers look worse, honestly. I'm worsening the numbers on purpose, just to, so you guys know I'm not trying to screw with anything here. And if you said, who are the super safe old guy plays with just no shine at all? You'd say, Middleton, Holiday, Chris Paul. This early, it's not even No Man's Land. It's the wrong name for it. Because No Man's Land is where everybody has an equal shot and it's just a free-for-all. You take whatever guy you think has some kind of prayer, and we'll get there. This isn't an early No Man's Land. It's not a pre-No Man's Land. This is Buzzland. It's Buzzland. Because people don't generally want to spend one of their first two picks on something hyper-buzzy. Unless it's like something so wild that it just... It's something that's like, oh, it's just my, just crazy enough to work. Like LaMelo Ball was one where everybody's like, okay, this guy's, this guy's the next big thing. Okay, fine. But most of the names, Devin Booker and above, that we talked about were not buzzy fantasy players. These were established established in some capacity. You might think they go a little up, a little bit down, whatever. Established. LaMelo Ball is the only guy in the first 25 names that wasn't established. 26 through whatever, 40 right now, maybe it goes farther. We'll find out about that tomorrow. That's Buzzland. That's I'm going to take a shot here. It's my third round pick. I'm not going to get blah, blah, blah. He's not coming back to me. There's all this hype. Buzzland. This is where you can just clean the crap up in your leagues. Because guys that aren't buzzy are always going to be floating around there. Jonas Valanciunas at 52. DeMar DeRozan. Time Lord was not buzzy this last year. Now he is. Womp womp. If you find guys like Chris Paul or a Drew Holiday or a Middleton or even Tobias Harris, who wasn't as good per game, but, you know, durable again. Well, what if you went Porzingis? Everybody hates poor Kristaps, but he crushed his ADP per game and probably will again. 
It's Buzzland. At least 25 through 50 or 40. That's as far as we can extend it right now. And we will find out tomorrow if Buzzland goes further or if it's the next group. Because this, this changes how we draft a little bit. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a delightful Wednesday. Please do continue to check out our baseball and football coverage and hit me up if you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Sports Ethos. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody. Thanks again.